Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian here as always with Michaela. Michaela, how's it going? How was your week? How was your weekend? Uh, What did you go see? I know what you went and saw because I was with you, but tell everyone what you saw. We saw Black Widow. Woo! We did see Black Widow and I thought it was excellent. What did you think about it? I really liked it. I thought that they picked some really great characters. Um to act in it. I love Florence Pugh. I think we should, she is one to watch. I think Mm -hmm. everything she touches is gold. If you've not seen uh, Midsummer, it's very creepy and very dark and absolutely not for kids. It is so good though. I don't know why I'm kind of obsessed with that film. And that's the first time I ever saw her. She's amazing. She was in little women. Once again, Mm -hmm. wanted to hate it because everybody does little women. There's been 16 versions out. She's amazing in it. Everything she touches is great. She was wonderful. Rachel Weisz, really good. Loved her character. And then um, the other gentleman who was in Stranger Things and he's been in tons of stuff and he's kind of this big burly dude and you do Mm -hmm. not think of him as a superhero at all. He's in it. It's amazing. It's so good. I loved it. It was so nice to be back in a theater. Yeah, it was really fun to be back in a theater and to see it. It's a movie, you know, we've kind of been waiting to see for like two years now, something like that. But um, it was really fun. Um, had a really good time watching it. Um, you know, she's one of my favorite characters of the Avengers. So I think her, seeing her story finally was uh, really awesome. So, you know, good to get some some limelight on her and kind of that family dynamic they had going. Uh, so we watched that. And Michaela, I've been telling you for a year to watch this other TV show. And rumor has it that you watched it and you thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I'm in love with Ted Lasso. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, He's very lovable, I will Isn't say. Isn't he? He really kind of is. I mean, yeah, the, the accent will throw will throw a girl off, but um, or a boy, whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, he's will throw everyone off. Throws yeah. <laughs> everyone. Everyone is kind of like, what? Um, but yes, he, it, that's an amazing show. And I'm so glad that you kept telling me about it and not and would not give up. Uh, on it, on me uh, watching it because it is so good. And honestly, I am not a sports person. I don't think I would ever classify myself as a sports person. Mm -hmm. Certainly not a soccer person. I do not understand a lot of the rules. I enjoy it, but I, I, I'm not into it the way a lot of people are. Um, I think this show does a really good job of meeting people where they're at as far as sports, the sports part of it. And Mm -hmm. it's so touching and heartwarming. It definitely, um, it definitely deserved everything that it won as far as gold, the golden globes this year. It's just great. I can't wait for season two. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, It's yeah. It's really good. Um, it has a little bit of language in it, so you'll have to use your own kind of discretion on what you're uh, willing to let your little ones watch. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, fantastic and season two i think starts this weekend 
um, as of recording this. So, you know, we're ready to go. And that's on Apple TV uh, Plus, which uh, if you have an iPhone, you probably get Apple TV Plus for free because I know they just keep giving it to me for free on my iPhone. So, yes. um, so look into that um, and see at least I, it's pretty short. So you could, you know, just do like the seven day trial just to check it out for yourself and see how you like it and get ready for season two coming up. So yeah, that's, that's my plans for this weekend. Uh, but over the weekend, you know, this last weekend, I did have a problem. I was on a space mission. My ship got busted. I was supposed to be going to the moon, but I didn't make it. Had to turn around and come back home. Barely made it. Oh man. Well, luckily for you, you had some great cocktails and a team at NASA to get you back home. None of whom had the measles. Yeah. No one has the measles. Uh, and we all have cocktails now and we're all safe and sound. So why don't we take a quick break and we will be back to talk about this week's cocktail, the Apollo 13. So this week's cocktail comes from the fun cocktail blog, Drink with Jerry, and it's aptly named the Apollo 13. Yeah, that's right. Very, uh, very clever title. And it ties in very nicely with the film we were covering today of the same name. So uh, the Apollo 13, it's it's kind of like a white Russian, I guess, because it has heavy cream in it. Uh, but it's it's kind of different. Um, it's you know, got some more going on. It's got some some different flavors in there, right? So white Russians basically just like vodka and heavy cream. So it's just like alcoholic dairyness. Um, this <laughs> this one has this one has some more flavors going on. Yeah. You know, kind of kind of herbally, uh, kind of like this rum thing going on. But why don't you run through the uh, list of ingredients here um, for everyone, and sure. then we can talk a little bit about this one. Yeah. So this starts out with two ounces of rum. We uh, well, I used a Bacardi white rum. Uh, half an ounce of orange liqueur. Um, we actually did a taste test between Grand Meunier and Grand Gala. Uh, mm -hmm. There was a uh, half an ounce of herbal liqueur. We did Galliano. I'm hoping I'm saying that right. Galliano. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then two ounces of heavy cream and some grenadine. And we were able to make use of the homemade grenadine that we had made for the earlier podcast uh, last week that if you missed, go back because it's amazing. This grenadine is so awesome. Yeah, that's in uh, episode 33, the Catherine, where we talked about hidden figures. But yeah, I made our own grenadine for that. And that one went into this. You just use like a splash of it. Um, I don't really know what purpose it serves other than just kind of discoloring the cream a little bit. But yeah, so this one is interesting. I will say that it looks very interesting because you have like this herbal liqueur and the rum and the orange liqueur on the bottom. And when you pour the cream in, it makes kind of like this like weird, like cloudy kind of like, I don't, I don't know. It, it looks like, like a cloud or like what would be coming out of the engine of your, uh, Apollo 13 uh, spacecraft as you're yeah. taking off from Earth. So it looks kind of interesting. And the flavor is also very interesting. I I kind of liked it. I don't know. It was it was a lot. There's a lot of liquid in this glass for what it is, right? And it's it's real dense, obviously, because of the cream, two ounces of cream. Yeah, so, it's a lot so maybe, of cream. Maybe like maybe like having it would have done better for me, but I didn't I didn't hate it, but I'm not like I should probably make another one of these. You know, a lot of these cocktails that we've made, you know, I'm instantly like, okay, we still have more ingredients to do more of these. Let's go do that right now. Um, but this one, I was like, okay, you know, it's it's fine, but you know, nothing I'm nothing I'm you know anxious to get back to. Right. Yeah, I actually remade it because I did want to revisit it because at the same time, I, I shared that experience with you where it was good. <laughs> Um, I didn't hate it, but I didn't quite know what I liked about it or how I could improve upon it to make it more to my liking. 
Um, and I will say when I cut the cream and did maybe one and a quarter ounces, I didn't quite mm -hmm. cut it in half, but I cut down on the cream. I found it much more enjoyable. Um, cause I just think so much cream, uh, and you're right when you put it in the drink at the end, um, because you, you add it at the end, it creates this like cloud and it's really beautiful. It looks like, you know, a spaceship's taken off. It's really cool. Um, but that much cream will really coat your tongue. Mm -hmm. And it's almost at the end of the drink, it, it, it's almost too filmy for me. So yeah, I definitely think if you're going to do this and it sounds like too much cream, listen to your gut, um, half, half the amount of cream and, and you should be good because I thought that the rum and the orange liqueur, um, was mm -hmm. going to be really nice. The herbal part I found really surprisingly good. Uh, yeah. And I think it would depend on what kind of herbal liqueur you used. So in the, mm -hmm. on the website, drink with Jerry, and we'll put, you know, the uh, link to that in the show notes. Um, it didn't say, it just said herbal liqueur, but then in the pictures there was a bottle of Galliano. So that's the one that we used. Um, I don't know if you could play with like other herbal liqueurs. Like when I first just kind of read it, um, I was thinking of like Jägermeister, which is an herbal liqueur, um, but it's, you know, way different taste profile than this Galliano would be. So I don't know how different that would be, but yeah, just doing the rum and orange liqueur in the cream would be uh, really good because it would be kind of like this like candied orange like creamsicle kind of thing. And that sounds pretty good. Maybe we should try that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I definitely think we should. I think yeah, we should make the, it happen. Yeah, so uh, uh, like Michaela said, it's it's real simple. Some ice cubes and then throw this in the glass and you're good to go. So if you have these ingredients on hand, you know, give it a try. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't rush out and get it, but, you know, give it a try, especially if you like uh, white Russians. You know, it's just kind of a different spin on it. So you know, something else, a little bit of a different flavor profile to try out and let us know what you think. Yeah, definitely. And if there's another orange liqueur that you prefer, uh, let us know that too, because I've, I've got a plethora of them and I wanted to see which one worked best. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And the, and the pursuit of the perfect margarita, Michaela is just acquiring orange liqueurs left and right. So we'll find uh, one perfect one eventually. That's right. So we've got these made up. So why don't we take a quick break and we will be back with our Apollo 13s to talk about this week's film, Apollo 13. Spoiler warning for Apollo 13. If you've not yet watched Apollo 13, stop. Go build yourself an Apollo 13 cocktail, mix and match some orange liqueurs, maybe grab your favorite astronaut and come back and we can chat about it. Yeah, absolutely. So Apollo 13, it came out in 1995. And it was directed by Ron Howard, and it uh, stars a, a few people that, you know, listeners out there might have heard of. So it stars Tom Hanks, Bill Paxton, Gary Sinise, Ed Harris, and Kathleen Quinlan, who's incredible, by the way. Um, and uh, there were a lot of uh, Oscar noms for this one, Michaela. There sure were. Uh, this was nominated for nine Academy Awards. It only won two. Um, one for Best Sound, Best Editing. It but it was nominated for um, Best Score, Best Art and Set Direction, Adapted Screenplay, Best Supporting Actress for Kathleen Quinlan, Best Supporting Actor for Ed Harris, Best Picture and Best Visual Effects. And I have to say, looking back, I'm a little shocked that it didn't win for Best Visual Effects and only for Best Sound uh, and Best Editing, but. Yeah. Do you know um, what did win for Best Visual Effects in the 1996 Academy Awards? So that would have it's, been 1995. It's, it's, oh. it's a quiz, yeah. 
I, you know what was it? It wasn't Jurassic Park. It was the film after Jurassic Park. Best visual effects. It wasn't Braveheart. Nope, it was what not. Was it? it it lost to Babe, a, a uh, Babe, the pig, the pig film. Uh, the it pig lost to that movie. Yeah, it lost. It lost to that, and, and we'll talk about some of the visual effects later. But that's that's what it lost to. Uh, Braveheart did win uh, best film that year, um, although the. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm still at a loss that a pig won over Apollo 13. Uh, a pig <laughs> one, that's, that's right, a big one. Um, yeah, so, and uh, James Horner actually was over for two because he was nominated for the best score for uh, this film, Apollo 13, and for Braveheart, uh, and he lost that one to the uh, score for The Postman. So a lot of kind of kind of upsets. I guess this this was just a weird year, this Academy Awards, but- This was but a weird yeah. year. I mean, Braveheart won. It was kind of a weird year. I mean, I love Braveheart, don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, we, we can talk about whether or not this was, this was, this was such an interesting film too, because there were so many people in it. It was like the JFK of the mid nineties, right? Where everybody and their moms in this movie. That's right. So why don't we, uh, we will dive right into this. We'll kind of, we'll try to keep it straight because uh, this movie kind of plays out on uh, three different parts, but it's going to start uh, as you get this beautiful uh, sweeping score uh, there, as we just mentioned. And it's kind of like this newsreel, you know, an archival like NASA footage of, you know, kind of the history of the manned space flight. And then, you know, it kind of ends on July 20th, 1969. Uh, We're in on the news and Neil Armstrong is about ready to step off onto the moon. And, you know, much like every household in America and all over the world, Everyone was huddled around their televisions, getting to, getting ready to watch this, you know, great feat of engineering and mathematics and bravery and tenaciousness about to happen. And we pick up our story at one of these parties. Exactly. Um, it actually, the party is in Houston, Texas, which makes me happy because I lived there for a very long time. Um, it's July 20th, 1969. It's very exciting. And uh, Jim Lovell, who's played by Tom Hanks, and um, it's at his house. And you see him and a bunch of his astronaut friends and space program friends. They're all huddled around the TV. His wife is there. Um and his, uh, his family, you can see he's, you know, kind of giving his older son uh, a little bit of shtick, telling him he's got to cut his hair and clean his room. And um, everyone is kind of huddled around looking at um, the footage. And uh, I wasn't alive at this point. So it's, it, it really impresses upon you how big of a deal that this was. Um, mm-hmm. Bill Paxton is also there. Bill Paxton's character is Fred Hayes. And then Ken Mattingly, which is played by Gary Sinise, they're kind of these this this three man crew that have been working together and been trying to um, go up through uh, through the space program, right? And if you don't know much about the space program, there were a bunch of different missions uh, named Apollo that went to space. Um, mm-hmm. There were uh, a few that did not go. There was there was a huge um, tragic. Uh, incident on Apollo one, there was a fire and a bunch of the crew, well, the entire crew ended up dying in a simulation, but um, 
they had a, a ton. I think they had like 19 or 20 different Apollo missions planned. And um, this was Apollo 11 that they're watching with Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. And they actually show the real footage. That's probably why it won best editing is because it's a really amazing mix of footage from the film, which is you know made and actual footage that was released during the day or evening of uh, the when we touched down on the moon. Yeah, so yeah, like we said, you know, everyone's gathered around this TV to kind of watch this, you know, monumental event, right? And they're especially invested, you know, being other astronauts. And it, it kind of get this uh, funny thing, you know, where he's joking, but, you know, Jim Lovell's like, like, it's not too late to call him off, you know, tell him not to do it, you know, because, you know, kind of, you know, half jokingly, he wants to be the first first man on the moon. But um, he's going to say, you know, here, you know, just shortly, the, the uh, party is dying out. So you know, Jim Lovell and his wife, Marilyn, are out back and Marilyn is played uh, so exquisitely well by Kathleen Quinlan. Like you can't get over how good she is in this role. Uh, they're out back. They're finishing off the, um, they're finishing off all of the champagne. And he's, and he says, you know, like Christopher Columbus and Bernard Magellan and Neil Armstrong, you know, which he kind of chuckles at, right? Cause you know, he probably knew Neil Armstrong for a super long time. And he's just kind of looking up at the moon and, you know, kind of reminiscing about his time in space and, you know, looking forward to the future a little bit where he might get a shot at making it to the moon at some point. And he says something that's that's really beautiful and only the way that Tom Hanks can say something. He's He says, you know, Neil Armstrong's walked on the moon now and he's like, it's not a miracle that it happened. We just wanted to go. And uh, that's really great. And I love that sentiment. And yeah. it kind of ends with him saying, I want to go back there. Um, you know, he's he just has this longing kind of sensation for being in space. And I imagine yeah. if you go to space that that's what do you what do you do? Like you come back to Earth and you're like, oh, man, I was in I was in space. Where <laughs> where right. do we go from here? Right. Yeah, I think it's a different it's it's almost like uh, people that that go into sort of a co combat situation, right? There's a, there's mm -hmm. nothing ever like it. And either people get addicted to it or they swear they'll never go back. Um, but, you know, so Jim had been on missions previous, but he never went down. So he has circled the moon um, mm -hmm. at least once before this. And so, you know, they're, they're in Houston, which is where uh, mission control is. For anybody who doesn't kind of understand how this works, the actual... Um, takeoff of where the space shuttle takes off is in Cape Kennedy, Florida, which is not where Houston is. <laughs> there are different places. So mission control is kind of the center location where um, all of the communications between the spaceship and NASA happen, but mm -hmm. they have to go to Florida in order to take off. So they're in Cape Kennedy, Florida. Jim is now giving tours, showing the different rockets and showing, you know, talking about the space program. And he gets asked by one of the reporters, hey, you know, do you think that, you know, the, this, the space program is going to continue? You know, we've already been to the moon. We've kind of said, we've done what we said we were going to do. And now it's kind of the end of it. And Jim is very respectful, but he he kind of takes exception to that. He says, there's nothing normal and, and, routine about going to another planet or another space area, right? Like we, mm -hmm. we should definitely be continuing to explore. And, um, you know, this is not us now that one person has done it. It doesn't mean that we should just stop. We should continue. And, mm -hmm. um, uh, just then his, uh, kind of commanding officer comes 
and interrupts him in this interview uh, to let him know that even though he was supposed to be on Apollo 14, there's been a change of plans, right? Yeah, so his his boss, who is another astronaut, um, his name is Deke, and he's played by Chris Ellis, you know, really well, really excellently there, but he comes, comes over and says, you know, something's come up. So it kind of cuts to Jim Lovell getting back at home and he's kind of running through, he's got like his suit, like in a, like a travel bag and he's, he's hanging it up and, you know, he's telling Marilyn, you know, we're going to have to cancel our plans for this vacation because, you know, something's going up, destinations changed. And she's like, Oh, where's that? And he says the moon and, you know, She's excited for him, of course, but, you know, she's a, a little skeptical because, you know, naturally it's Apollo 13, number 13. Uh, that's not great. And uh, we find out why. So Al Shepard, you know, another astronaut, his ear infection flared up. So uh, Jim Lovell is now on the team to go do this. And it's blasting off in like two weeks or something like that. So not a lot of time to get prepped for this uh, new mission getting thrown into. Yeah. So it, they actually, it was, it was about six months that he had to work on it, but they have to do a number of simulations um, to get there. And it's the entire crew is being moved up. So it's, you know, Tom Hanks's character, it's Gary Sinise's character. It is Bill Paxton. So those three gentlemen are supposed to be going on Apollo 13. And so it moves up to three months before launch. They're inside the simulator where they have they have to connect to two ships in space and they mm-hmm. do it via like a vacuum. I, I'm not sure exactly how it works. It looks really complicated. And yeah. they're they're like using these sticks. That's, you that's know, why like we're not astronauts. They're, that's exactly why we're not an astronaut. <laughs> that and I could probably not do the math in my head the way they do. Um, but they they're they're using these sticks and like figuring out all of these uh, angles and the angular modules and whatever. It, it's amazingly hard and it looks very difficult. And Gary Sinise's character, um, Mr. Mattingly, he is not convinced that he's done a good enough job. So even though the, the second team and the backup team is there ready to, to do the same simulation because you have to make sure you have multiple teams trained, you know, he says, oh, I'm not, I don't feel good about it. I want to do it one more time. And so the backup team um, has to continue to wait. And these simulations take hours and hours. So uh, you can kind of see a little bit of tension between the backup team um, and the number one team, because the backup team does need to be called, you know, they need to prepare because you Mm -hmm. just never know, (laughs) Which, which comes to play, you know. Yeah, because the backup team is led by Jack Swigert, right? So uh, Kevin Bacon's character. Um, but yeah, uh, Ken wants to run through the simulation and, you know, uh, Jim, sa- Jim Lovell says, you know, let's get it right. And he told uh, Jack as they were kind of trying to, you know, swap places. He's like, it's like eight hours of boredom followed by like seven seconds of terror or something, something like that. So, uh, you know, that's that's probably it. But yeah, so the backup team's not getting to getting to do their practice. But the the main crew, I guess, is getting getting their reps in as it would. And, you know, so their, their training were a couple months out um, and Marilyn's, you know, still feeling a little uneasy about all of this. She's having, you know, kind of a bad dream about what's, what's going on. And she kind of wakes up from this nightmare and she overhears Jim talking to their youngest son. Um, and he's telling his youngest son, you know, about how they're going to get to the moon and, you know, his son, you know, a little nervous. He, he's asking, you know, if he knew, if his dad knew the astronauts that were in the fire right from Apollo one and he, and, you know, Tom Hanks, Jim Lovell, he says, you know, there were a lot of things that went wrong, you know, and one of the things was they couldn't get 
the door open when they needed to. And his son asked, did they fix it? And Shimabu says, oh, yep, of course we fixed it. You know, we fixed everything. It's it's very safe now. They have it all fixed. It's good to go. And you get, it's really neat. You get Marilyn kind of standing in the doorway, just kind of watching uh, this interaction, uh, hopefully maybe calming her nerves a little bit, but uh, she's still pretty suspect of this uh, number 13 uh, launch. And, yeah. you know, and this is going to be his fourth one. So that's, that's a lot of times, I guess, to, to send a loved one into space on, you know, 10 billion gallons of rocket fuel and hope that they come back. So. Yeah, it's 10 billion, 10 billion gallons of rocket fuel that was purchased with all the other parts by the lowest bidder too. It's worth saying, right? Um, yeah. I mean, you know, when they got strapped in, it's like, I don't know if this was a good idea. But um, yeah, I, I think that's one of my favorite scenes because it's very hard trying to explain to a child um, that there are risks. And, um, you know, when you have a, a person in your life that you care about that's going to do something like this, whether it's the military or an astronaut or whatever, it's that's very difficult to do. And of course, Tom Hanks is just brilliant at it because he doesn't he doesn't explain all the things that went that went awry but mm -hmm. he's very calming about it. And he does it again later in the film and we'll talk a little bit about it, but I think it's one of my favorite scenes. Um, and uh, it, it helped, it's helped me be a parent. <laughs> um, yeah, so we have, so some more bad omens going on, right? So it's, yep. uh, you know, sending up signals here. Maybe this isn't the best idea, but they're, you know, driving out to some event that Marilyn is questioning why, why do we have to go to these speaking events? Shouldn't you be you know, training for this mission that you're supposed to be going on in uh, just a few weeks. But, you know, Jim's like, well, that's, that's NASA. There's, there's time I can do, do both, but they're driving along in a very fancy looking, I think it's a Corvette um, and mm -hmm. it stalls out at this light. And he says, you know, that's, that's never happened before. Um, and then they kind of get to where, you know, the car started again and they're, you know, having this conversation and Marilyn says, I'm thinking about skipping the launch. And, you know, Jim Lovell's like, you never skipped any of the other ones. And she's like, I, I'm just, I'll just be glad when this one's over. She just, she does not feel, feel good about uh, the way that this one's going down. Yeah, she, she really doesn't. Um, and he, you know, he doesn't press her about it. He, he probably had his feelings hurt a little bit that she wasn't going to go. Um, he just says, well, it's going to be quite a show, you know. Um, and, uh, and then it, the, things kind of move to where that crew is getting their picture taken um, the, you know, they've got their helmets, they've got everybody's kind of, um, being interviewed about, you know, Hey, is it routine going to the moon? You've done this so many times. And, um, Jim says, well, there's nothing routine about going to the moon. I mean, he's had, he's feeling like he has to defend, um, NASA's whole, you know, existence at this point, um, which is a shame, but then he also announces that this is going to be his last trip. Um, mm -hmm. that, you know, he's been to the, you know, after this, he'll have been to the moon, um, he will have stood on the moon and looked back at the earth, you know, like four people in the world can say they've done that at that point. And he's like, I'm done, you know, um, yeah. probably also because his poor wife is like having heart, heart palpitations about this whole thing. Right. And um, they've been married a long time. Um, you know, they have four beautiful kids. So he's, he's probably like, I, I, you know, this is really taking a toll on, on my family. So I should probably mm -hmm. stop. Um, so then it's two days to launch. We're, uh, we're, everyone's ready to go. Everything looks like it's going to be great. Um, yeah, they're, moving a, they're moving the rocket. There's some great footage of them getting the rocket ready. And yeah, so yeah, so two days to launch. They're outside Jim Lovell and uh, someone else. It might be Deke. I don't remember who, but they're kind of standing outside talking. Um, and 
than the the big giant crawler that's carrying you know the launch uh, rocket out into position uh, is going by, um, and it's appears to be life size and it looks amazing and I don't know pretty good visual effect I don't know if it was uh, Oscar worthy but it looks pretty great um, but basically they're having this meeting outside um, and the uh, kind of the crux of it is that a gentleman an astronaut by the name of Charlie Duke who's on the backup team had measles and you know Jim Lovell says well I had measles you know when I was a kid so no big deal there uh, but apparently Ken Mattingly uh, Gary Sinise's character never had the measles, so he's not going to be able to go up in space. So Jim Lovell has kind of the he has the option of you know canning the whole thing for his team or replacing Ken Mattingly with uh, Jack Swigert, you know Kevin Bacon's character from the uh, backup team to come fill in, and uh, that's kind of the the decision that he has to make, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you see that he's really torn about it because he wants to fight it. And then it's basically put to him that, Hey, you, you can, you can just table your whole team. Like no one can go either, you know, you two can go with Swigert or no one gets to go. And they were talking, you know, he's felt a lot of pressure that they're going to shut down the space program at all. So he may never get to go to space again. And so he has to, um, do the thing that all great leaders are <laughs> have to do is go tell really bad news to people um, that they have a lot of respect for. And, you know, that seems really hard because, you know, Ken Ken's character is played so well by Gary Sinise and he's so disappointed. And he says, we should go, we should go talk to him and you know, the, the, the higher ups, we should go and, and fight for this. And, you know, Jim Lowell's character says, nope, this was my call. I made the call. And uh, he says, well, Swigger, you know, he'll be fine. It's, it'll be fine. Um, but you can tell he's real mad. He says, I don't have the measles. Just so we're clear, I don't have the measles. I'm not going to get sick. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like two days before launch. So of course that's when it's, it, they start, all eyes start to go to this uh, Swigert's character uh, because, you know, he hasn't has he had the same amount of training has he done the same number of simulations and so they're in the simulator all together except now instead of it being mr mattingly it's mr swigert and it's not going well they're coming into the at the at the wrong angles or they're coming in too fast and you know there's mm -hmm. a lot of nerves and bill paxton's character um is not pleased with the way that this is going he no one seems to really believe in uh in Kevin Bacon's character and he's feeling pressured and it's, it's really bad. And there's actually a, a scene where they, they crash to get the right and the mission completely mm -hmm. fails and they all would have died if it had been real. And it's very scary and very upsetting because they're minutes before they have to get on a, you know, on a ship and be, uh, do this for real. So it's, it's, you don't, are you aren't filled with a whole lot of hope yeah. at this point. Yeah, Marilyn, Marilyn is correct because the stress level is high. Uh, we're getting, uh, you know, Jack Swagger, he's in to, you know, try to try to do his best here, but a uh, little rocky kind of start. Um, I think they say something, you know, that Kim Mattingly, you know, failed at that particular simulation the first time he did it. But, you know, that was more than two days out from the from the launch. But the launch is coming out anyway. So it's the night before the launch and they're having kind of the send off for the astronauts. So all of like the family, friends, reporters are there. The astronauts are kind of across the street, right? Because they can't 
you know, expose themselves to getting any germs or uh, the measles or anything like that. So they come up, you know, Fred Hayes's, you know, wife and kids are there and they're kind of, kind of waving. And then uh, you see Marilyn kind of walking through, through the crowd and she gets there and, you know, Jim's surprised to, to see her. And he's like, that looks like uh, Marilyn Lovell, but she said she wasn't coming. And, you know, she gives, you know, Tom Hanks's line right back to him and says, well, I heard it was going to be a hell of a show. And then yeah. uh, it, another one of these things that only Tom Hanks can do, he just, he says, you know, hear about Ken. And then he just kind of turns, right. Gives kind of like a, like a knowing nod that, you know, <laughs> not good, but, you know, trust, trust in him, I guess his decision-making here. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it, it's the right kind of snark and sweetness, right? Between the two of them, because you, you, they just play it really well that they've been together a long time. And, um, and he's, he's like, you can't live without me. And she's trying not to freak out. She actually had just lost her wedding ring um, in the shower drain, um, like right before showing up to this. So she's had a lot of bad omens. Um, so she's, she's kind of waving at him and I'm going to say his name on Fred. They call him Fredo. What's his, how do we say his last name? Fred Hayes. Yeah. Hayes. Thank you. So, and Fred Hayes, wife, she's, you know, nine months pregnant. She's actually about to give birth. They've, they've got like three or four other kids. And um, the only, the only part that I find, you know, kind of a comedic therapeutic, like com- comic relief at this point is when um, the two women are going back to their cars. And of course they're swarmed by the news uh, syndicates, right? Asking them a, hunch- a whole bunch of questions. And, you know, Marilyn, she's, uh, this is not her first rodeo. She's done this three times. And so mm-hmm. she's, you know, letting Fred's wife know, she says, remember, we're proud, we're happy, we're thrilled. And she's like, you know, they've got tons of mics in her face and they're like, how are you feeling? And how are you feeling? And she says, we're fine. We're really happy. We're so proud. We're thrilled. It's great. And it's so funny because they, they, they almost don't really get how terrifying this could be for these women. And this woman is in a fairly delicate, sensitive position anyway, because she is literally about to give birth. (laughs) I mean, they ask her, they said, are are you, are you, when when is this happening? And she says, oh, I got another month before this takes off. And yeah, Marilyn asks her how long she has. But yeah, so you get you get kind of you know that the scene with Marilyn losing her wedding ring, uh, which actually happened uh, the day of the launch. So uh, that's that's a bad omen. You get the crowd coming in for the for the launch, and it's kind of it's kind of going back and forth between the astronauts getting you know suited up, which is uh, pretty cool to kind of see all this stuff. Um, and then we get to meet uh, Gene Kranz, who's played by Ed Harris. Uh, also excellently, uh, you know, was nominated for the supporting actor there. Um, he's getting a box. It's a vest from his wife, which apparently is some sort of uh, kind of uh, tradition for these uh, missions that, you know, he's in charge of. Um, but he gets the, the vest out. It's this white vest. It looks very, very sharp on him. And they're, you know, going through the uh, go, no goes for launch and uh, they're getting ready to go. And then, you know, the space shuttle is taking off. Um, and I remember when this came out, I watched kind of a behind the scenes sort of thing. And uh, it was the people from NASA saying that they used the footage from Apollo 13 because it looked better and more realistic than their own footage of actual ones taking off. So I don't know if it's as good as a talking pig, but probably good enough to win the uh, visual effects Oscar maybe in any other year. I don't know for sure, but it looks incredible. And the you know, the mission is on, they're going, but have a little trouble, you know, right away 
the center engine cuts out and you'll get kind of gym level. You know, he's looking down at the control panel. He's looking over. There's like a, it's like a knob. It just says abort on it, which I guess just, you know, immediately sends the rocket back to earth. So, you know, he's looking at it, but, you know, NASA, the mission control, they tell him that, you know, everything is okay with the center engine. The other engines are uh, looking fine. They're going to get them out there. And then uh, you get, amazing and i this probably this might have been i think probably the first time at least we had any sort of length of film of this uh, zero gravity stuff that they'd filmed like in these big parabolic flight uh things so they built all of these sets inside of a giant jet that nasa has for zero g training and you get to see you know kevin bacon and bill paxton and uh tom hanks in zero gravity with all their stuff floating around right and it's real. Like they really did that. Um, very different, I think, than any of the other space films. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know why a talking pig won. Um, I'm I'm really uh, not happy about that. Um, I'm yeah. Someone sold their soul to Satan or something. <laughs> I don't know. Someone sacrificed it. Uh, some something big uh, in order to get that uh, to get that to go home. So um, it's time for uh, Swigert to take control of the ship. Um, because I guess it was manned by Jim kind of, or the, the team. I mean, they pressed kind of a couple of buttons and the whole thing shoots off. And the way this works is there's a bunch of the ship that detaches over time. Okay. Mm -hmm. If anybody, if anybody doesn't know this, okay. There's like the, the boosters kind of detach. And then there's a middle section that also detaches. And then they have to actually go and meet up in space and they attach the, the this the part that's moving goes up and attaches to the lunar module that's supposed mm-hmm. to take them down to the actual moon and that's the part that was a simulation that they had done numerous times with Gary Sinise's character but now um that it's Jim Swaggart in the captain's seat um they're really concerned that this is not going to go well because they've failed on numerous simulations, right? Where something's gone wrong. So um, Mm -hmm. he actually does a really good job though. It goes just fine. He reclaims the lunar module and they're all connected now. So you got, um, you know, this, now it's back to being a a little bit longer than it was. Um, And so things look like it's going okay, right? They have a couple of really fun um, shots of uh, like on day three, they, you know, show how you pee. in space apparently this is really very everyone's really curious how how this happens um but they show you know there's like a tube where the urine goes and then they can dump it out but apparently that takes a lot of power um so yeah uh we find out that that becomes a problem later and um and then of course they want to they want to do a broadcast in space showing what it's like to be in space on a spaceship because this has only happened one or two other two other times right this is mm-hmm. the third time that they've gotten this far and um yeah it's kind of a way for nasa to show off what they're what they're doing and you know kind of build you know morale and support around the nation for you know this this program that's you know costing a lot of taxpayer dollars but they're trying to you know show you know what's what's going on and sort of make this uh, presentation about it 
Um, right. you know, so they're, they're going, Marilyn is, you know, gathering up the kids, uh, the oldest daughter, you know, more upset about the, uh, Beatles breaking up than going to see her dad's broadcast. But, uh, they ended up, they end up going into, into NASA to watch this broadcast and they're kind of watching it. And Marilyn looks over at this, uh, TV that's kind of off to the side and a baseball game's on. It's not, you know, it's not this broadcast. So they're doing kind of the show up in space, but all the, the networks had, you know, decided not to show it because they thought it was boring. And, you know, we'd already been to the moon. Kind of the sentiment was, you know, why do we need to keep doing this and spending money? We beat the Russians to the moon. You know, what else? Why are we still doing this and spending the money? But, uh, you know, Marilyn asks, you know, if they know, you know, up there in space, if they know that this isn't on air and they're like, now nah, we'll, we'll tell them when they get back, which I guess is probably the right call. Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, and she she's really uh, hurt by it. She it really bothers her um, because they're so excited. Like they're doing all this cool stuff, right? They open up this um, uh, the orange tang, which is a drink um, back in the day, mm-hmm. and of course the tang because this is real. The tang, um, you know, the way liquid works, it it kind of is becomes this spherical ball that's kind of floats around and they eat it and they're listening to music and playing, playing songs and they're um, pressing buttons and see, you know, and really showing off um, kind of the joy around this, the whole space journey. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, they, they're doing it to an empty audience. And it's, it's interesting because you can go see them now. If you YouTube it, um, you can at least see parts of them. Um, and I, I recommend everybody do that because it is actually pretty cool. And it's such a shame that the networks at the time, uh, made that call. Um, they, they, they learn, they learn from their mistakes, I think, but, um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, so after this, uh, broadcast happens, you know, it's time to get back to work. So NASA sends up a call to uh, Jack Swigert tells him to stir the oxygen tank. So you'll see, um, you know, Kevin Bacon's character reach up and hits the switch to stir the oxygen tanks. And you get kind of this like zoom in on the inner workings of the spacecraft. Um, you'll see it spark. And then you see like the side panel like explode out into space. Uh, there's a huge bang. The sounds are going nuts. The alarms are going nuts. The uh, space shuttle starts flying you know in every direction it's supposed to be going more or less straight to the moon but uh it's it's zigging and zagging all over and then you know tom hanks with the famous line houston we have a problem yeah they do have a problem and they're trying to get this thing under control um and they they finally do kind of get it you know under back under control a little bit they at least get it flying straight and kind of you know the system's back under control a little bit um and tom hanks uh, looks out the window and uh, he radios back down to Houston and he says, we're venting something into space. Um, and the only thing they can think of what they might be venting into space is oxygen, which is not good because there's not more of that out there. Nope. There is uh there's not more of the oxygen. Um, and it's like uh, pandemonium. It's very scary because you got a lot of uh, alarms going off, a lot of beeps. And then of course, Houston is trying to figure out what's going on and mission control has, you know, Ed Harris's character. He is the leader, but there's a, I don't know, 45 different people that are in charge of some part of the ship um, around, you know, what's going on with the engines, what's going on with fuel, what's going on with their heart monitors. I mean, there's a doctor there that's like, they need to sleep. They need to, you know, go to the bathroom or whatever. Um, And so yeah, I think at this point, he's like, their heart rates are all really elevated. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. 
thing. <laughs> and so, you know, he's trying to stay, maintain like a sense of calm and saying, okay, let's work the problem, you know, tell, calm down everybody one at a time, tell me what's going on. And they, they don't really know, they don't understand um, what, what could be wrong. And of course, then they're wondering, you know, did he press the right button? And then like, no, 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 he, they did. Um, but what's, and, and, you know, and then all, while they're trying to figure all this out poor poor Jim Lovell is like, there's, we're venting something into space. It's probably oxygen. That's not a good sign, you know? And so that really, um, is problematic because, uh, they, 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 they need oxygen in order to live. It's one of the, one of the big, one of the three things that you need in order to sustain life. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, a. He's like, call it, call your teams, call everybody, you know, uh, Gene's character at Harris. He's, he's super calm, but you could tell he's, um, a little, he's concerned. There's definitely cause for concern. Um, so, you know, they immediately try to reach out to, um, Gary Sinise's character, but Gary Sinise, uh, that, you know, as they're showing this, he sh- says, you know, Hey, I, uh, he's had a couple of beers. He's watched the launch by himself in his, in his room. Um, he's decided he's going to bed. So he, they ju- he just misses seeing that there's this special report now around um, this explosion that's happened. And so he goes to bed, he doesn't wanna talk to anybody. So he um, picks up the phone and leaves it off the hook. He doesn't wanna be disturbed. And, um, but you know that, that, that they're trying to get a hold of him because he did fly this thing, right? And he did, mm-hmm. he did great in all the simulations. So um, yeah, th- yeah, they're trying to do to do what they can so they're trying to get everyone back into mission control everyone that kind of worked on this thing you know figuring out because right now it looks like you know everything is broken so you know gene just says so what on what on the thing works <laughs> tell me what works right that's a that's a shorter list um but so they kind of they figure out they can shut down the fuel cells um which is going to i guess stop this you know oxygen from venting uh, so that's good they'll have enough air to breathe but they're not going to have enough fuel to get to the moon, right? Because they can't, because uh, they're, you know, having to shut down this power. So yeah, so so what do they do? So they need to conserve energy. So they, you know, they turn the power on on the the lunar lander and turn it off in the, you know, in the capsule, right? They need to save as much kind of power and energy and fuel from that as they uh, possibly can. So they kind of move uh, everything over there. You know, they're double checking all the numbers before they shut it down so they can give them to NASA to, you know, because once they shut this thing down, they're not going to have any idea like where they are, what direction they're pointing, you know, anything. So they're, you know, trying to get as much of this data as they can to, to send back to Houston uh, before they shut it all down. But, uh, you know, eventually they, they shut it all down and this thing's just kind of flying through space powerless at this point. Right. Um, and, they hope that it's going to, uh, by shutting down the the fuel cell, that and and all the power, that they're going to be able to save the oxygen that they have, right? And that there's not going to be another leak. But um, un- unfortunately, they shut everything down, and the oxygen is still dropping. And that's when Jim Lovell tells uh, Fred Hayes. Hey, uh, we need to power up the lamb. How how long does that take? And he says, uh, three hours, I think, if I do it by the by the book. And he says, we don't have that much time because we're gonna run out of air. So it's it's a real big problem. <laughs> um, 
And so, you know, things are starting to happen down in mission control. Marilyn, of course, gets a phone call from NASA. Um, She is looking at this news alert that doesn't seem to know anything. And someone calls her and they don't seem to know much either. And so she's Mm -hmm. really not taking this news well. Um, She's incredibly scared. And, um, you know, a bunch of people start showing up at her house to try and offer moral support. Jim Lovell's mom, who I believe was in some sort of nursing home establishment, she keeps trying to see go, get on the TV to see her son, and he's not there. But there's this big report around, you know, hey, there was an explosion on the ship and something is wrong. So she's upset. Um, you know, there's this really tough scene. Marilyn has to go and talk to her son, who was the same little boy who's asking his dad about the ship. And mm-hmm. she has to sit him down. And he's like, why are there so many people in the house? And he's got like this makeshift tent beside his bed. Um, and she, you know, she's so brilliant. Um, uh, the, Kathleen Quinlan's so brilliant because she doesn't want to fall apart in front of her son because she doesn't want to scare him more, but she's really doing her best to hold it on all together. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to, and she just says really, she keeps it really simple and says something broke on your daddy's ship. And um, they're just, they're going to have to figure out a way to come home. So he, he's not going to get to land on the moon. And, um, and, and it's a little dangerous. And he, of course, he looks at her with his big brown eyes and he says, it wasn't the door. Is the door okay? Because he's just so worried that his dad's, you know, that the door is mm-hmm. not working and it's a heartbreaking scene. Oh. But um, it's so good because it really shows the realness behind all of the stuff that we as civilians kind of romanticize, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So he's, he's, or she's breaking that news to the youngest son it's a it's a very emotional and tough scene for sure um and i think that this at this point kind of the the movie really splits into kind of these three facets so they're telling the same story with the same dialogue it's just playing out over these three locations so you have the astronauts up in space you have mission control and then you have Marilyn, who uh, pretty much is always at one of these like nasa Uh, kind of radios, I guess, so she can listen in to what's going on. So I think that this is probably what's uh, the big thing for the uh, editing and why it won the Academy Award here, because it's got like this three, three tier uh, kind of story going on uh, that's telling it. But uh, so what, what do we do, right? So all the astronauts have moved over into the lunar module, they have, they have oxygen. So I guess that that's good, but they're still kind of just drifting through space. And so we get Gene, he's at this chalkboard he's trying to use like the like the projector and it doesn't work and he just like rolls it out of the way and uh, uses the chalkboard and he he draws you know the earth and the moon and he starts to draw like a line up and he's like they're there uh how do we get them back here do we tell them to turn around and come back right now or do they kind of go around the moon and use the gravity it kind of slingshots them back towards earth now about half of the people in the room want to you know just turn them around and come back and about the other half want them to you know do that you know go around the moon and you know use the gravity uh to get back there um and you basically have all of the uh engineers who kind of designed these things uh they just they just don't want to be you know blamed when you know these things don't don't work right he's like well i don't know if the lunar module can do that because that's not what it was designed to do and gene just says i don't care what it was designed to do i need to know what it can do because uh a serious situation here and uh gotta gotta figure it out but kind of the end result here is they decide they're going to have them you know just kind of carry on their trajectory towards the moon kind of circle around the moon and then come back it's going to use less fuel 
uh, and that seems to be the kind of safest safest way of of all bad options this seems like the least bad I guess so yeah yeah and it, it, I really like that scene because it shows I mean these are the bre- the best and brightest uh, in that a NASA has right they're all in this room trying to figure it out together and they're still human. And so they still just don't want to be blamed, right? I mean, and and dealing mm-hmm. with uh, you know, it with life, you've got people who are like, look, I don't, I don't want to be blamed if it it wasn't designed to do that. And then of course, the famous line, failure is not an option, right? We have to figure this out. And so they they agree that one of the biggest issues is power and conserving power. And right now, they, you know, they're kind of, they're in the lamb, but they are in the lunar module. That's what they call it. Um, but they are going to run out of power in, uh, in a few hours if they continue to use all of it. So they have to get things down to like 12 amps. Um, th- that's not a lot of power, just so we're no. clear. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, that's, that's not our phone uh, today, uh, anybody. That's a lot. We're, they, we will, when we went to the moon on less power than we um, have on our phone today. So um, they, they're trying to figure out what the right sequencing needs to be to turn things on and turn things off and what they can skip and, um, and how they're going to bring everybody back home. But, um, you know, the leader, Ed Harris, says, you know, failure is not an option. It's the famous line. He says, we absolutely have to figure this out. We're, we're not going to just leave these three to kind of figure it, you know, fend for themselves up there. Um, mm. And so they tell the, you know, mission control goes ahead and tells the, the team uh, on Apollo 13, hey, just hang tight. We're going to slingshot you around and we will give you instructions, um, at, you know, as, as we can figure it out, basically, right? And mm-hmm. it's really tough because there's, there's a, there's, they start to really um, get on each other's nerves a little bit. They're in a very cramped space. The land, the lunar, the lunar module is only supposed to hold two people. Um, that's what it was designed to do. And so they're kind of, you know, it's a really small cramped space. Um, but they, they are doing the best they can to try and keep each other, you know, uh, in check and, and, Jim Lovell's character is trying to keep everybody's spirits high. They're just continuing to work the problem. And um, they end up slingshotting around the moon, which was the plan. And they see the dark side of it. And they, they're they able to look at it uh, through this little kind of triangular window. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this is this is one scene I thought was really classy. And I hope it's true, is that Jim Lovell got out of the way and let the other two gentlemen uh, look at it because he'd seen it. And mm-hmm. he knew they hadn't. And so they were able to kind of poke their heads in. Cause remember it's really crowded space. <laughs> and so they got to look out and see where their landing site would have been. And, you know, where there, there was a big asteroid crater that they look at and they're like, man, this, this would have been really awesome. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, Jim Lovell kind of has this moment where he thinks that, you know, what it would have been like to actually landing on the moon. And so he has this, um, kind of introspective moment. And you, you really feel bad for him um, because, you know, this was it, this was going to be it. And he's never, you know, you don't think he's ever going to get there. And, and that's if he gets home at all. Like now it's looking pretty bleak that they tried to do something bigger and, and maybe he's, I don't know, it shows kind of how he's questioning maybe was all of this worth it? You know, that kind of thing as well. It's, it's a really interesting scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really neat. They're going around, you know, the dark side of the moon. Uh, it's starting to get cold. Like you said, tensions are starting to get high. But 
uh, you know, Jim Lovell just says, you know, gentlemen, what are your intentions? And, you know, he says, you know, I'd like to go home. So, you know, you can kind of, as they're coming around the moon, you see like earth coming into, into view. And he does this thing kind of at the beginning of the film where he has like his thumb covering up the moon and he does the same thing with the earth. Right. So he's, uh, you know, new mission. Now he knows that he's not ever going to get to walk on the moon, but uh, he just wants to get home to his uh, wife and kids. So they're running around They're they're flying around the moon. Uh, they need to get the uh, power down to about 12 amps. Uh, and that seems to be hard. So they need to go and get Ken so they can start coming up with a plan on how they're going to do that. So they go and get him, they get him into a simulator. Uh, you get a pretty cool scene and he's getting ready to go in and one of the uh, engineer guys hands him a flashlight and he's like, that's not the kind of flashlight they have up there. Don't give me anything that they don't have. Um, so he's in to start working on this problem. But we have another problem is the lunar module was designed for you know, two men to be on for, you know, just a couple of hours, you know, not for like a couple of days or whatever. So the CO2 levels are rising. And since there are about, you know, a thousand people making parts for uh, these spaceships and they apparently don't apparently talk to none each other. Apparently none of them talk to each other. Yeah, exactly. So they have on the, uh, on the lunar module, right? The, uh, the little thing that the three uh, guys were on, uh, those filters are square. And on the lunar lander that they're in right now, those filters are round. So how do we uh, get that put together? Uh, well, we actually get a pretty neat scene out of it, although it's, you know, uh, not great planning for NASA's part here, but uh, you'll get like the engineers uh, around this table. And he's like, we need to make this fit into this with nothing but this. And he just dumps out, you know, it's a bunch of like tubes and books and plastic bags and stuff that they'd have on board the ship because they need to basically rig this filter up to start cutting the co2 because well now we have oxygen but too much co2 not good not good and uh yeah it i i, I think there were some great lessons learned <laughs> that came out of this piece right like maybe have extras maybe they should all be the same um maybe have more you know, I mean, really, how much was it going to matter to have one more cartridge that actually fit? I don't, I don't know. But, uh, you know, as if the, as if the team on Apollo 13 didn't have enough to deal with, right. Um, they're, they're trying to work that problem and they don't really know, actually the, the one thing that they keep kind of, uh, alluding to this this trio of folks in Apollo 13 is if something were really wrong and there was no way they would bring us back do you think that they would even tell us you know mm -hmm. do you you know and Jim Lovell tries to you know quash that thinking amongst the team but they keep kind of coming back to it like you know are you you know they haven't given us our re-entry instructions yet we don't know what we're supposed to do we just know that we're headed you know we're slingshotting around the moon and that makes sense to us because at least we'll be headed in the same in the right direction home but that's that's always kind of a, a big piece right and so there's this really tough um scene between um the three of them where you know jack swagger says you know hey i you know you're mad at me you guys are mad at me it was not my fault they told me to stir the tanks i pressed the button all i did was press the button and you know and in the meantime fred is not feeling great like none of them are feeling great let me let me be clear because it's freezing cold and but he's saying that you know he he'd, he'd thrown up earlier um he was having painful urination he thinks he's got a fever um you know they're not doing well and they're scared and they want to go home and you know they you know jack swaggart's probably feeling pretty bad about his you know 
the fact that he pressed a button and so he you know is feeling very defensive and um in the meantime you know maryland's got her own kind of war to fight on her front because news has finally gotten out um to the public that there's been an explosion and so it's on tv everywhere and everybody wants to uh kind of jump on this Mm-hmm. story because it's a really big story and so you know there's a gentleman and i'm not sure who plays him he does it really well because i do not like him at all um <laughs> he's he's the one who basically told her it was not a big deal uh for it you know the earlier broadcast to be on the news and that's why it wasn't on any of the news shows he's mm-hmm. the one who's telling um he's just very smug and he's got this really i mean he's amazing at it i don't think he actually is but the person he was playing is very smug anyway marilyn is seeing all these people uh from the news stations try and put a a receiver yeah they're trying to put like a transmitter on the lawn um, on her front know, lawn yeah and and that guy comes in, right? And he's like, is it okay if they do that? And she's like, absolutely not. They didn't care about this flight when it was when it was going fine. And now they only care about it because it's going wrong. So a uh, pretty good scene for her. Yeah. Yeah. She says, you know, if they have a problem, they can take it up with my husband and he will be home on Friday. And she, her voice kind of cracks when she says the word home. And it's just, so perfect and beautiful um and very scary and sad um but yeah everybody's feeling real tense right now right so it, it, there's a bunch of kind of scenes that skip between like you said the three storylines right and we're all mm-hmm. feeling the tension and it starts to really come to a head on apollo 13 where there's you know they're yelling kind of back and forth at each other um and uh but they they, they get kind of stopped in mid-fight by Vox, which is mission control saying, hey, guys, uh, you, you, you want to check your CO2 uh, gauges? And of course, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we just saw that. We were just looking at that. And that's it's a little mm-hmm. high. It's and it's rising. And um, Fred keeps saying, no, no, that's wrong. It's got to be wrong. There's something wrong. Um, and then, you know, uh, mission control says, oh, yeah, no, we, we thought the number was really high. Um, you're here. We've got some some instructions for you to follow. And of course, Fred realizes that he ran the numbers, but he just ran them for two people. And so poor Jack Swaggart is like, well, I should just stop breathing. It's fine. I should just quit. Yeah. I pretend. Don't mind me. Pretend I don't exist here. Yeah. He says, I guess I'll just hold my breath. And um, yeah, it's just kind of the kind of tipping point. Um, but kind of at that point, I guess they, they at least kind of start, you know, they're getting some information from NASA at this point. So they at least have something to do other than be tired and scared and inside of this tiny little closet size thing that they're in. So, um, yeah, so they get the, uh, they get the instructions to kind of build this filter and, uh, they get it put together and, uh, you know, the music's very tense kind of at this point while they're waiting for this thing to start this, uh, you know, level of CO2 to start dropping and, um, it finally does, which is which is good. So you know, another problem solved, right? It's just about ticking these uh, problems off. But you know, there's there's still more problems, right? Because they've been on the dark side of the moon. It's something like negative 400 degrees back there. So you know, everything on the uh, on the uh, spacecraft is freezing up, and there's condensation all over the place. Uh, Fred Hayes has a huge uh, fever, like 104, according to the uh, medical personnel there on you know, back at mission control. And, you know, they're asking, you know, Jim, if he can, 
something about his his heart rate or uh, he needs to get some sleep or something like that and he starts ripping off you know these uh, kind of medical sensors to it and of course the doctor just starts freaking out um and you know then the other two start ripping theirs off and and the doctor's like oh my gosh we they all just died right now you know and gene's like uh cut him some slack doc you know just a little medical mutiny on your hand um but they do have uh, something kind of tension filled is they need to get this thing back on course right because um, in the movie, they talk about how they're supposed to have a bunch of moon rocks on there. So the, the angle is not going right. Um, but, you know, if that's the case or not, but the, uh, you know, the angle's wrong. So they need to do a little bit of a course correction, uh, but they don't have the computers to tell them what direction they're pointing. Uh, so really the only thing they can do is kind of get the earth in the window and, you know, try to do some math uh, to figure out, you know, how long you need to point in one direction to get you going. Uh, in the right place, but super, super tension filled. Again, they kind of power this, you know, they put these thrusters on the things zigging and zagging everywhere and they kind of get it shut down uh, just in time to get back on course. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a tough 39 seconds that they have to do this for, and they can't see anything. And, you know, the way that the thrusters are working is not real uniform. So um, it's, it's definitely very, tense. It's very exciting, but it's very, very scary at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, meanwhile at home, you know, Marilyn goes to the nursing home where Jim Lovell's mom is. And, um, uh, it's a, just a sweet, sweet scene. She's got her kids with her and, you know, his mom is, um, you know, older. And so she's talking to the gentleman who's trying to work the TV. And she says, I just don't understand the TV's not showing my Jimmy. And, and she has to tell her, you know, her, her mother-in-law that, you know, Jim, she, there was an explosion and he's okay, but he's not going to be on the moon and he's coming home. And, um, and of course, one of the little, the little daughter is, starts to cry when his, you know, Marilyn tries to explain the situation and um, Jim's mom says, are you scared? And she's crying and she nods her head. And um, Jim's mom said, well, you know what? If they ever got a washing machine to fly, my Jimmy could land it. And she's, she doesn't seem scared at all. And it's such a great scene. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorites because, you know, she's really trying, um, you know, Marilyn's really trying not to freak out her kids and upset his mom. And she's just, she's got such faith that her son's going to be fine. And he's, he's going to be okay because he was such a great pilot. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, meanwhile, you know, basically it's raining inside of Apollo 13, freezing rain because everything is super condensated. And of course they ask the question, you know, have we ever thought about (laughs) if these were going to short out or (laughs) any of these switches would, you know, have a, have an electric spark and they don't know, you know, (laughs) they don't know. They're just going to the moon. It's it's not rocket science. They don't have any idea. Um, so it's very tense. This is probably the most tense part of the entire film. This, this like 20 minute window that where all of this is happening. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause kind of as this is kind of as the story is playing out, it keeps checking back in with Ken. Right. And they're trying to basically get everything powered back on just the stuff that they need, but they, they can't let it spike over 20 amps or that's going to fry the navigation computer. And then they're not going to be able to go through re-entry right and 20 amps is not a lot so like you turn on your vacuum that's more than 20 amps so uh it's it's not good not ideal but they're they're going through and the way 
electricity works is if you do things like in a certain order, like some things use more than others and the way they kind of piggyback off of each other. So they're trying to do like these hundred steps in different orders to try to see if they can keep, you know, everything below this 20 amps. Um, and they're getting close and, you know, they actually are able to do it, right? They get everything powered back on the way they need to do it. So they're writing up uh, the plans for what's going on. Uh, so it's it's about time for the reentry to start, right? And they're they're setting up the plans, uh, like you said. There is the stuff going to short out. It's like covered in water and ice. We don't <laughs> we don't know if anything's going to break. Um, but you know, people are starting to gather around their TVs, you know, just like they did for the moon landing to basically see if Apollo 13 is going to make it back or not. So we get another gathering at Jim and Marilyn's house. Uh, Jim's mother is there. She's then watching the TV and Marilyn takes in, you know, these uh, two strapping young gentlemen in to keep her company while, while she's in there and uh, introduce them. It's uh, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong. And Jim's mom says, oh, are you boys in the space program too? Which is, which is uh, pretty funny. Um, and yeah, so we get that kind of, you know, gathering, you know, for support and back up on Apollo 13, they're starting to go through this uh, power-up procedure. Great. Yeah. And uh, man, it's, um, it's really, it's, I love that scene um, because there, there are a bunch of people that are, you know, gathering. There's a bunch of news people that are, that have actually gone against what Marilyn wants and are standing on her lawn. And um she kind of comes out of the room where she was uh, looking after Jim Lovell's mom and she sees Jim on the TV. And it's probably one of my favorite scenes because he's being interviewed uh, and asked, hey, you know, do you ever, have you ever been afraid? Did you ever um, really get into a situation where you were afraid for your life? And he tells the story of when he was a pilot and uh, it was dark, it was at night, he was going over the ocean he couldn't see anything and the aircraft carrier had turned off all of its lights. Um, it, you know, he turned on his map light and everything fried except for the actual engine. So like his cockpit was completely dark. He couldn't see anything. He had no navigation um, and he was going to run out of fuel. So he thought maybe I should just ditch the plane completely and take my chances. And he ended up seeing this um, phosphoric plankton that was, kind of churned up by the big boat. And he said, you know, everything kind of just seems to work out because if um, this, this could have been a really terrible thing that happened to me, me, my cockpit completely shorting out. But if that had not happened, I wouldn't have been able to see the phosphorus plankton, you know, algae. I wouldn't have been able to get home at all. So even when it seems like these really horrible things have happened, they all seem to happen for a reason. And um, it, you know, it right after that, you see Gary Sinise's character, right, Ken Mattingly in the um, in the simulator, and he finally cracks it. And you, as a viewer, realize that maybe the whole universe had this whole plan in place for Ken Mattingly to be home just so he could save his friends. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, because he is the one who figured out how, you know, how to crack it so that, you know, you saved, you, you saved the 12 amps or however that worked. It's really very exciting and very mm -hmm. poignant. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you at least get some optimism from Jim there. And it, it seems like, you know, NASA has done as best they can here, right? It was a lot, was a lot of uh, mistakes leading up to this, but 
you know, the people that are in charge of running this thing now, you know, have, have at least given, given this team a chance to, to get back in. And it's time to see if all of this, this work and getting the power right and the fuel right and stuff is going to pay off. So it's time to uh, jettison the service module and the, the lunar lander. Um, so they do that. Um, it's, it's really brilliant looking. You see it, you know, kind of detach and float out into the space. You know, they're very emotional because they'd been, you know, living on this thing. It wasn't designed to keep them alive, but um, I think it was, uh, it might've been a Kevin Bacon's character or one of them says uh, that was a good ship or yeah. you know, thanks for, thanks for being a good ship, but you see it and then you'll see like the entire side of the service module is just missing where this explosion had happened. So right. uh, once, the, once they see it and see how serious it was, I think, probably the realization sets in that um, at this point, you know, none of them probably should have been alive longer than, you know, just, you know, the minute after that happened. So, right. Yeah. And, and so, and it's great because they actually have real footage of um, and real pictures of the module. Cause again, this is a true story um, and it is really amazing how they depicted that um, from a special effects perspective um, because they're they're able there's a great shot of them looking through the window that's looking at this turning um, you know kind of module out in space it's actually really cool how they how they figured that out I don't know how they did it um, because they're they're still weightless so it's really mm -hmm. kind of cool um, but you know it's time to re-enter um, everything is is coming through and you know the news is not being helpful in talking about how their what their chances are um mm -hmm. they're they're you know another big aspect to this whole landing is the site um you know there's like a typhoon warning where they're supposed to actually land um mm -hmm. they also are like hey the heat shield might not work um yeah. because of the explosion we don't really know and um mm -hmm. you know they talk about how uh certain parts of the of the the area that they're actually in now to land is very thin. And if the heat shield um, has even a tiny crack in it, it could crack open the whole thing and they all are incinerated immediately. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, you know, while they're going through the atmosphere, they're not going to be able to hear anything. There's like a three minute delay or three minute kind of blackout period. And that smug dude, that smug guy keeps talking and he talks to Marilyn um, and just says something horrible, like, and because she says, well, how will we know if everything's okay? And he was like, well, if it's three minutes long, hopefully we'll, you know, if we don't hear anything back in four minutes, I guess, I guess we'll know it didn't go <laughs> I guess, well. I guess and, we'll know. <laughs> it's just really awful. So, you know, her and three of her kids are in NASA watching, um, you know, her, her, her other, her oldest son is watching from the Academy with all of his friends and they're all kind of sitting in a classroom watching, um, you know, it's, it's, it's down to crunch time. Everyone is, uh, the, you know, the gentlemen on Apollo 13 have all buckled themselves in and it's a really cute scene. Jim Lovell gets into the captain's seat or, or the pilot seat and realizes mm -hmm. that he's not the pilot. <laughs> yep. And yeah, he he sits there and and you know he just kind of uh, apologizes. He's oh, you know, old habits, and he he moves over into the center seat. And Jack Swigert takes the takes the captain seat. Um, there's like a little like post-it note kind of over top or a note taped over like the release switch for the man module. And 
you know, Jim Lovell's like, oh, what was that? And he's like, yeah, I was getting a little punchy. I wanted to make sure I didn't, you know, cut you guys loose. And he says, oh, you know, that was good thinking, right? Because these guys probably went like, I don't know, seven days, six days without sleep and uh, without eating and, you know, uh, terrible. So that would have been easy, easy to do. But yeah, they're coming back in for re-entry. Everything could go wrong. Um, this, this scene, it, it looks so awesome. You have the kind of this capsule coming through and it's basically just like an inferno outside and you can see it like they do some exterior shots of it, which were really cool. But I really like the interior shots of the module as it's coming in because you can see like the fire like outside of the windows, like going in, you see like the stuff on the panel, like starting to melt and drip and you just see like water just flying back into uh, these uh, three guys faces as they're going into and you know it kind of goes around the world a little bit and everyone's kind of waiting they show like Times Square in New York and you know all over uh, you know just watching the news to see um, and like that uh, very smug gentleman pointed out you know it takes about three minutes so if it's been four minutes and we haven't heard anything then uh, probably not um, and you know, the movie plays it up it you know it takes uh, just a little over four minutes right for for this to happen but uh, eventually we see the capsule come out. You see the three parachutes that, you know, everyone was concerned might have turned into blocks of ice on the dark side of the moon, but, uh, they were working and the capsule is down, uh, splashes into the Pacific ocean and a couple of Navy helicopters are flying out to pick them up. Yeah. Just like that. Just like that, Brian. Just like that. Yeah. Almost too easy. Um, yeah. So the three gentlemen, they, you know, they get picked up. And then they they retrieve the Odyssey uh, capsule, which is really cool. Um, you can actually go see it if you uh, go to Houston and you go to the NASA Space Center. It's really cool. It's great for kids. I totally recommend it. Um, it's uh, it, you know it, they called it a successful failure. After this, you the, the gentlemen are airlifted back um, to I, I guess. I guess, Florida, and they kind of meet a bunch of the news crews right outside. They're all in their kind of blue coveralls and their uh, Apollo 13 hats. And you get the voiceover of uh, what, uh, of Tom Hanks talking a little bit more about the mission and how they were able to say that, you know, it was not in fact a person's fault. Um, there was a um, damaged coil and it, but it was something that they knew could have been a problem, I guess, in earlier Apollos and, mm -hmm. um, but they hadn't addressed it, I guess. Um, something like that. He, he says to the effect yeah. that, you know, yeah, he said uh, it was, he said it was put on like two years before, you know, he, that, you know, he'd ever been assigned to Apollo 13. So, I mean, you know, that same coil would have been on, you know, the other Apollo missions up up until that point so right you know at least at least the ones in the previous two years 11 and 12 so right so i guess it was just uh you know it was dumb luck that it happened on theirs um and he kind of goes through the team you know fred hayes uh did not ever go back in space again he ended up recovering from his uh severe flu <laughs> or cold that he had his 104 mm -hmm. fever um jack swaggart um he ended up being a politician, uh, and I think he he was a, a yeah he was senator he was elected, for Colorado. He was elected to Congress for Colorado, Congress. yeah, but he passed away before he got sworn into office. Uh, he died of cancer. Yeah, and uh, and Ken he flew on Apollo sixteen and never got the measles. So 
never got the measles. Um, but again, it's a good thing that it all, I mean, I don't know if we would be watching a movie about this successful failure if Ken had not stayed home uh, and been able to help in the simulations, right? Because um, he mm -hmm. was definitely someone that um, that was instrumental in in figuring out that 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 sequence to turn everything back on again, and um, yeah, and that that's that's the end of the film. So also, uh, so Jim Lovell and uh, Fred Hayes, they're still alive. Um, they're in their nineties now. And so uh, it's kind of a neat, um, the, the, you can go and see, I, you said that you, there was a making of Apollo 13. There's, um, there's a documentary around that you can go find uh, where these guys are all interviewed um, mm -hmm. after the fact. And it's, it's really kind of neat the way that they talk about it. This is one of the films that I think is really inspiring, but also um, fairly uh, truthful and doesn't do a lot of embellishment. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, so this is based on uh, Jim Lovell's book, which is called uh, Lost Moon. And when they were making the film, they actually used all of the you know historical footage and all of the recorded you know dialogue from from the ship. And basically, kind of kind of the the party section at the beginning is you know kind of created for this film but by and large from the time that they take off all of the dialogue in the film is actual actual dialogue that's what <laughs> what mm -hmm. these people are actually saying um and things which is uh just fantastic so um Michaela back in 1995 this came out we would have been I don't know 14-ish uh was Apollo 13 something you saw or it at uh, the theater or something uh, myself I remember the first time I saw this was uh, I believe it was on like a field trip with uh, school it was like a like a school thing that we went in uh, oh, yeah? saw or at least for for a class or it, it came in to to the school as like a learning type of a thing but what about you what was your first experience here with uh, Apollo 13? I definitely saw it I might have seen it with my dad because um, my dad loves space stuff um, but it was 14, maybe not. I definitely saw it in the theater. Um, and I do remember thinking that it was definitely worth, you know, being nominated for best picture. Cause mm -hmm. at, at that point I was just starting to get into my Oscar, um, obsession. And so I do remember watching the Academy Awards and thinking that it, it, it should have done better than it than it did. Um, you know, I think this is, this is really interesting in that, you know, this month we kind of picked uh, films that we were proud of and made us very, feel very patriotic. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if patriotic is really the right word when I, when I watched this film, but it does make me feel really proud of the kind of the space program and the, the ideas that, that, that very smart people can come together and bring about really amazing things, even if it's, even if it doesn't go well. Right. And the mm -hmm. ability that we have to learn from our mistakes, certainly this was not the, um, the first, uh, successful failure there, there've been a lot of issues and a lot of lessons learned that was, you know, a lot of mistakes were made, um, within the space program. But I really thought that this was just a really great view of something that happened and didn't have a bad, uh, you know, it didn't have a bad ending 
and the acting in it is just fantastic. I mean, you couldn't, I could not have thought of a better group of people to play these folks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so this is one of my top most favorite films, uh, just in general. I really like this film. Um, I, I really like uh, stuff that's realistically set in space, uh, NASA type of stuff. Um, the acting is spectacular. It visually is incredible. The story is so compelling and it has a happy ending. And I like the, just how everything had to get kind of cobbled together by these people that had no idea what they were doing and were just kind of winging it and uh, trying to figure out how, how to do it, um, you know, through kind of no fault of necessarily their own, but, you know, they were just in the time and place to, you know, bring these men back to earth and they were able to do it. And I think that's what's inspiring and why, you know, we'd see, you know, quote unquote patriotic. The score for this is brilliant when they come out of the capsule and the music swells. It's very emotional um, every time. It doesn't matter like how many times you see it. So the score is uh, epic and great. And yeah, this ensemble cast, I don't know, you couldn't have put together something better than this. Um, and Tom Hanks kind of leads it up. And uh, we've uh, talked about Tom Hanks, you know, and a couple of other times, and he's one of the actors who is really good at, he can do leading stuff, but I think where he really shines is when he's kind of the leader of an ensemble because his acting just elevates everyone else's uh, so much, just kind of the the nuance and the 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 look and feel and subtlety that he can give a certain scene or, you know, a certain moment in a film. Uh, is just, you know, fantastic. Uh, Kathleen. Um, Quinlan. Yeah, Kathleen Quinlan is spectacular uh, in this. And yeah, I just, I just, I love it so much. And this was at the time that this came out, um, a lot of people kind of were betting on that this was going to be Tom Hanks three in a row. So uh, one best actor for Philadelphia in 93, one best actor for Forrest Gump and uh, 94 and then this and 95 and I remember um, seeing an interview with him um, at the time and they were asking him about that whether he thought he would be nominated and win a third in a row and he's like uh, this cast is great and I'm not the uh, leading actor in it so I don't think that I would really deserve to be with these others but uh, he is so special in that role and I mean this was just prime time for Tom Hanks just a decade of just incredibleness. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love this one a lot, Michaela. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad you do. I do too. Um, and I, I will say this is one of my favorite films to recommend to young people. Um, or at least it was hidden figures probably now is, is what I recommend to a lot of young people, um, these days. But, um, I mean, I remember my cousin Deacon, if you're listening, I love you. Um, you need to watch this movie if you haven't. Um, I remember talking to him and saying, you know, this is one of the best films, I think, um, out there around, you know, what people who believe in science and math and all of the things that are truth and real um, coming together to, to do something. This is a great film that focuses on that. And so, you know, as, as a person who, you know, believes in all of those things. I, I like to, I like to offer this out to, um, to young people to watch because it is 
um, serious in that it's, um, can be very scary because it's serious subject matter, but it's, it's, you know, there's nothing in it that you wouldn't want a kid to necessarily see. There's, there's a little bit of language, but really not that much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it shows you kind of what, you know, where the stars are, right? Shoot, shoot for the stars because you can really help do something very big and also very small because it's a really mm-hmm. big, you know, a lot of people didn't think it was a really big deal to go to the moon for the second time, but it was a really big deal to bring those people home. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a true story, which, um, you know, unlike The Martian, which a lot of people said this was kind of, that The Martian was kind of, uh uh, the next Apollo 13, uh, but fictionalized. Um, and it, they, there's a lot of similar themes. You know, this actually was something that happened and it happened before we had things like cell phones and, <laughs> and laptop computers. And, you know, um, and it's amazing that we went there, we went to the moon at all, uh, given, given that truth, right? Um, yep. So I, I agree. I really love this film. It's, it's one, of my, one of my favorites. Um, it, the, I think the art direction and the, the set direction is also amazing because you really do feel in the, uh, in the close-up scenes. I mean, it looks when they're in a party in Houston in a house in the sixties, I know exactly where they are living because, you know, it, it, they did a really good job <laughs> yeah. of showing that off. So it, it's just neat. I really like the film. I'm so glad you do too. I didn't realize that, that, that we had picked one that you liked. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, definitely a pleasure watching this one again. I watch it, you know, probably every couple of years uh, since the time that it came out. So always good to get a rewatch. So if you're listening along with us, uh, let us know what you think about Apollo 13. If, uh, you know, it's something that you watched uh, at the time it came out, or if, you know, it's something you're just coming into, or if you've never seen it, let us know. And if you make an Apollo 13 to have while you're watching Apollo 13, let us know that too. Let us know what you think about it and let us know if you have any other kind of riffs on white Russians we should check out because we definitely want to know that. Uh, And you should do that on our Instagram and Twitter. It is at drink the movies and on facebook.com slash drink the movies. If you want to get episode recaps, pictures of our Apollo 13s and the recipes and all that good stuff. You can do that on our website, which is www.drinkthemovies.com. And Michaela, while they're doing that, what else should they be doing? Well, they should be listening to our podcast, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or or anywhere where Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Um, if you are listening and you like what you hear, and this is the first time you've joined us, welcome. Please subscribe. And if you love, uh, if you love us as much as we hope you do, please leave us a five star review because it really helps us get the drink the movie stuff out there. We've had a really um, great couple of weeks. People are talking about us, talking about movies. Um, please share your thoughts with us because we we would love to talk more about cocktails. Um, if you have any suggestions. Uh, of what what movies we should do and cocktails we should do in the future we would love to hear it so yeah absolutely Um, but unfortunately Michaela I have a problem oh no I am out of my Apollo 13 so I guess we better mix up another one of these and go check out another movie failure is not an option let's do it that's right well we're going to go do that and then we will catch everyone next time on drink drink the the movies. movies